Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. I, too, want to welcome the visitors that are with us this morning. We're glad you're here and invite you to join in and worship the Lord with us. Yesterday, our nation celebrated Independence Day. 239 years ago, our country adopted the Declaration of Independence, declaring independence from Great Britain. The second paragraph of the unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America begins like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The title for my message today is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Over the past several months, I had the opportunity to spend numerous hours in airport terminals. And as you know, airport terminals, they're full of people, big people, small people, every size in between, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Some folks are relaxed. Some folks are rushing to catch their next flight. All the styles that you can ever imagine are all mixed together there in those airport terminals. You have the good old boy with his John Deere hat. He walks through the airport terminal, plaid shirt, denim pants. You have the youth with their spiked purple hair, the studs, the earrings, the bleach skin. Now, as you know, not everyone in an airport terminal is an American, but many are Americans in the pursuit of what our country calls the American dream. As I, as I observe these people, the looks on their faces, body language, it would appear that few of them are experiencing life, liberty, and happiness. Why is that? Why is that? Someone compiled a list called the Paradox of America. Now last Sunday evening we talked about, or we had a topic here on the paradox, paradox that are within the Bible. A paradox is, is like an opposite, opposite uh, like a contradiction. And I think uh, Darren, he explained what a paradox was. So if you were here, you, you know what a paradox is. But the paradox of America, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, yet more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We eat too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, 
and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We added years to life, not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've conquered the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less. Now I know what I just read. I know that is negative. However, it is an honest evaluation of our country. So what is wrong with America? Where has America went wrong? The Declaration of Independence declared life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why is there so much sadness? Why is there so much troubles in our country today? Why is that? Well, we could give many reasons for the moral decline in America. However, I will share something that I have been thinking about. You know, thinking back to the founding fathers of America, they had a fear of God, and that is very obvious from their writings, from their laws, the things that they said. But you know, it's one thing to have a fear of God, but it's another thing to have the life of Christ in our hearts. You know, many people have a fear of God. They will mention his name, not always in a good way, but they have a fear of God. They believe in a higher power. You know, we say that our country was founded on Bible principles, and I believe that's true. We are thankful for that. But think how much better history would read if along with the Bible principles, if there would have been a faithful example of living out the life of Christ. You know, a fear of God is good. Bible principles are good. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are Bible principles. But without the life of Christ in our hearts, we will, we will pursue them in a wrong way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, apart from a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, no one will ever find true joy and satisfaction. We must have our confidence in him as our Lord and Savior. When that becomes a reality in our hearts, then we will find real life, liberty, and true happiness. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, this is the account where Jesus met the woman at the well. I'd like to read 5 through 30. 
As I read this account, I want you to notice what this woman knew. Just notice what she knew. She was a very brilliant lady. And just, just think about that as I read. John 4, verse 5. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Now I do want to pause and just make a comment on that word dealings. Um, so we understand what's going on here. But Adam Clark suggests the word communion instead of the word dealings. Um, the thought of no religious connection. And one commentator's thoughts were that the Jews did buy of and sell to the Samaritans, but were restrained by an order of the Sanhedrin from using any familiarity with them or borrowing or receiving anything as a gift from them. So keep that in mind. It was more of a, a band on religious connections. Okay, we'll go on. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, <clears throat> If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered, answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, Well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worshiped him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So as I read, did you notice what all this woman knew? I mean, this woman certainly knew about God. She was familiar with the law. And I believe we can rightly say that she had a fear of God. Notice there right off, she knew that she was despised as a Samaritan. Um, she understood that. She, she knew the history of the well. She, she knew that Jacob, uh, their father or ancestor, gave them that well. She knew about worship, such as how and where. And she knew about the coming Messiah. Again, I go back to the founding fathers of America. They knew about God. These men, along with this woman, were familiar with Bible principles. This woman could have assisted them in writing the Declaration of Independence. But you know, so many people in America today, and even in Christian churches, are in this condition. They know about God, they know about worship, they know that the Messiah has come, they celebrate the birth of Christ each year, yet they are drinking water that does not satisfy. The woman here in this account was living with her fifth husband, adultery, a direct violation of the law. You know, so many Americans in their pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, they find themselves right here with this woman at the well. The water from Jacob's well was not bringing satisfaction. It was not quenching thirst. Jesus invited this woman to living water. Jesus said that whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And I like that term, springing up. You know, springing up means to jump, to gush, leap into everlasting life. You know, George Washington has a monument. John F. Kennedy has an eternal flame. Although the memory of these two presidents live on, the men themselves are gone. Every hero of America, every hero of the past has died, and so will you and I. 
Let's think about, well, back to that thought. Jesus is offering everlasting life in the water that he is supplying. And then as we think about life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, first of all, life, let's think about that for a few minutes. How is life obtained? Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. I'd like to read 10 through 13. Most of the scripture that I have to share this morning is taken from the Gospels. I do have a few other places we'll look at, but 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, 10 through 13. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And it's not just life, but eternal life. Jesus offers eternal life in heaven to those that love and obey him. Now we may wonder as a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, we believe in God, we're born again, we have experienced salvation, we have felt the cleansing power of the blood, and we have a desire to live for God till the day that we die. Is it okay to desire a good life here on this earth, or a life, or a long life that is full of good days? The answer to that question is yes. To desire a good life on this earth is a good desire. I believe it is. And turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and we'll read 11 through 14. Here we have the answer for a person that desires a full life, a good life. Psalm 34, verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, verse 12, here we have the question that I just asked. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So often, we make the Christian life way more complicated than what God ever meant for it to be. Here we have two simple verses 
if we would follow them carefully, will lead to a life full of blessing. I want to read 12 through 14 again. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, those verses are so simple. I don't think I need to even comment on them. I think all of us can understand what they're saying. You know, God asks no man whether he will accept life. Have you ever thought about that? You know, we had no choice in the fact that if we were to be born or not. That was not our choice. God does not give us that choice. Life is something that we take. The only choice we have is how we will live the life that is given to us. Let's think about liberty for a few minutes. The CIA motto is a quotation from Jesus. I understand it's up there on the building in Washington. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The full quotation is found in John 8, 31 and 32. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As strange as it may seem, we find true freedom when we love and obey God. You know, many people who live in our free country are not free. They are slaves to the masters of this world. Money, pleasures, drugs, reputation. Jesus said in John 8:34 that whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, being a slave to sin brings a paycheck that you don't want. Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." You know, Nathan, when he preaches, he, when he comes to that word, but, he really emphasizes on that, and, and I appreciate that. He says, you need to look what comes before and look what comes after. And uh, I often think about that now, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. I'd like to read some from Luke chapter 4, 18 through 21. First of all, we'll notice verse 16. Uh, before we read, notice verse 16. This account takes place on the Sabbath day in Nazareth, which happens to be Jesus' hometown. And if you notice there in verse 17, Jesus is handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, from which he reads prophecy concerning himself. And so we'll begin to read at verse 18 of chapter 4 of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Back to verse 18. What do the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, and the bruised, and that word bruised has the thought of crushed, what do all these have in common? What would you say? What do they have in common? Would it not be bondage? Would it not be a hopeless situation in which there seems to be no way out? For example, a person that is bruised. You know, bruises come in all shapes and sizes. They show up quickly after we have been hurt. And you know, the men, the men in my house, we like to show off a good bruise. You know, we uh, will hurt ourselves and we'll pull up our pants leg and we're like, hey, check this bruise out, you know. And sometimes we'll say, you know, I have the mother of all bruises on my leg, you know. Men like to show off a bruise. They like to show off a scar. In fact, I got a scar right here on my hand. I had a surgery there. And uh, I could talk a long time about that scar. But in real life, bruises are far from beautiful. The fact, however, the fact remains that there are many bruised people in America. Unfaithful relationships, unfaithful friendships, physical abuse, sexual abuse, church abuse, family troubles. These hurts, these bruises, this crushing has a way of controlling us. It has a way of controlling people. You know, such experiences can keep a person in a state of mental, or should I say, such experiences can keep us in a mental state of bondage. Let's read verse 18 again. And notice what Jesus is bringing to each group. First of all, Jesus said, I have been anointed and I have been sent by his heavenly Father to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus is bringing to each group exactly what they need for their situation. You know, the Declaration of Independence doesn't hold a candle to this. It only offers life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jesus Christ is offering the gospel, healing, deliverance, sight, liberty, and as we saw earlier, eternal life. The pursuit of happiness, no way. You know, we rejoice with the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Well, let's think now of the pursuit of happiness. Do you want to experience the joy of the Lord in your life? 
Psychiatrists say that people need three things to make them happy. Now listen real carefully because this is important. First of all, they need something to do. Something to do. Second, they need something to love. Third, they need something to look forward to. I believe this is true, and I believe that the Bible would agree with this. But please keep in mind that a worldly psychiatrist and the Bible will not agree on what these three things should be. You know, a whole sermon could be preached on that, but I will say this. This morning, God has something for you to do. He has something for you to love, and he certainly has something for you to look forward to. But we must take the step of faith and let God lead us into those things. And you know, those three things are between you and God. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what they should be. I'm staying out of it. It's between you and God. The word happy is a Bible word. We find it throughout the Bible. The meaning of the word varies slightly depending on the Greek word that it's translated from. Let's look at several places in the Bible where the word happy or a form of the word is used. And we'll begin in Proverbs chapter 3. I'd like to read 13 through 18. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Here the writer of Proverbs tells us that happiness is found in wisdom. Now, it's okay to focus on wisdom here, but I'm reading this more to um, show you the different ways that the word happy is used. So, but we can apply what it says as well. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Excuse me. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that can be desired are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. Now, verse 13, we have the word happy. And the Greek word that uh, happy comes from simply means blessed or happily blessed. Um, it's basically all it means. In Psalm 1, verse 1, this same Greek word is translated blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not. You're familiar with that verse. Verse 18, again, we have the word happy. Now here, this word comes from a, a different Greek word. And I'm not going to try to say these Greek words. I struggle with English, much less trying to <laughs> say a Greek word. But anyhow, but this happy in verse 18 has the thought of to be straight, to be level, right, to go forward, to be honest, proper, to go on blessed, to go on happy. You see, someone that, that takes wisdom and applies it to their life, that, that blessing, that happiness, continues 
on into the future. Now, if my study is correct, this, this is the only place where this Greek word is translated happy. All other places, it is translated blessed, such as in Proverbs chapter 31. I don't mean to bore you with this, but I'm leading up to something else. But in Proverbs 31, you have that chapter about the uh, virtuous woman, and it says her children arise up and call her blessed. And that word blessed there and the word happy in verse 18 comes from the Greek word. Again, you see the continuation of someone that chooses to do right and it goes on. Even their children are blessed and happy because of wise choices of another person. So now let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 5. Now that we understand a couple of the different words, the word happy, and how it's used. Matthew 5, I'd like to read 1 through 12. Very familiar scripture. We have the Beatitudes. Now notice that each verse, I believe all but verse 12, begins with the word blessed. Now the definition of the word blessed is similar to the two happy words in Proverbs. It's similar, but yet a stronger form of happiness, the thought of supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, blessed, happy. Now, as you know, America tells us that we need to get all that we can out of life. Don't be satisfied with just being happy or blessed. Get all there is that there is to get. Make sure you're getting it all. You know, go to the top. Well, here in Matthew 5, Jesus is offering all of that in the word blessed. Do you desire the highest, the best, the most supreme kind of happiness that can be found? Well, then follow along as I read here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteous, righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Do you want to be happy? Then here is God's plan for you. You know, Jesus' way isn't the American way, but it's God's way. It's the only way that will bring life, liberty, and true happiness. You know, you can take out the word pursuit when you take God's way. You can take out that word pursuit. Well, 
I need to bring this to a close, and I wasn't sure exactly how I should close this message. But I love that short verse that follows the first feet washing service in John chapter 13. You know, every time, each time we have communion, we have that reading from John chapter 13 where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. John 13, 17, you can turn there. But after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he shared with them the reason or the purpose for what he had just taught them. And then he goes on and tells them that, that what he had, had shown them, they should go and do in the future. They should go on and wash each other's feet. And I like that last little phrase there in verse 17. Jesus said, these are his words, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. We'll call for a closing song.